0: Welcome to the OKC First podcast. Together, we're learning to do three things. Friendship with God. Friendship with one another. And open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First,
1: please visit OKCFirst.com.
0: Today's scripture comes comes from Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. In those days John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea proclaiming Repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the one This is the one of whom the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said The voice of the crying out in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord make his path straight. This is the word of the Lord.
2: You may be seated And now we are going to enter into a time of contemplative prayer, and I will have Britt introduce Suzanne. Yeah, so we, if you haven't been around for this series, you weren't here last week, we have the privilege of hearing from, you can come on up, from um, Sue Ann Lively. Sue Ann is a spiritual director, and if you don't know what that means, it essentially means someone who sits with you and helps you listen to the voice of God in your life. And Sue Ann is an incredible human doing that for us here in our congregation, and we have the opportunity to um, be with her for these few moments. So won't you join me in welcoming Sue Ann?
0: It's a, it's a great privilege and a holy honor to pray with you this morning. If you were here last week, we uh, all practiced the, a breath prayer. And in your bulletin, there's a little description of what a breath prayer is. You might want to read that. But basically, a breath prayer is exactly what it sounds like. It's done in one breath. Sometimes when we think about prayer, we think we have to be at a special place, a special time, and we think, good grief. How am I going to do that? My day is filled up, filled up already. I am totally swamped. But something that we do all day long without even thinking about is breathing. And so the breath prayer is something that you can say, in one breath, wherever you are, at any time, at any place. The premise of the breath prayer and in contemplative prayer is that God is in all things. He does not cause all things, but he is there with us. He constantly abides with us. So in the breath prayer, what we are attempting to do is to see differently, to hear differently, and to see the gift that's already come, that God constantly abides with us and wants to be with us in everything we do. So we say it in one breath. The traditional breath prayer that has been prayed for centuries is Jesus Christ Son of God, have mercy on me. And what, in essence, what we're saying is what we've been doing this morning. Everything we've sung, every candle that we've lit, every word that Pastor John is going to preach and, and bring to us this morning is that mercy of let that be real to me today. Let me. Experience that. Let me see you active in my life. And it is a practice. It's a practice of his presence. So we're going to take a moment, and I mean maybe less than a minute, but we're going to practice the prayer breath today. And the way that we do this is that we call it a body prayer because we embody the prayer. We don't use just our minds and our voices, but we use our breath, which includes our entire respiratory system. It includes our diaphragm. We put our hands in a welcoming position of release, of welcome and receiving. We use our legs and our feet to plant ourselves in the earth to root ourselves, and we breathe in and we breathe out, saying the prayer in one breath. Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. We'll take a couple of deep breaths, and when you go back to your normal breathing, quietly, internally, you may breathe. just breathe that prayer. If you can, you say, well, I feel more com- comfortable saying, Jesus, have mercy, that's great. If you feel more comfortable just sitting here in the quiet for that minute and letting God love you, that's perfect too. There are no rules. There are no rules. You can't do it wrong. We're going to sit here for about a minute as we breathe in and we breathe out. And as much as we can be aware, to know that we are breathing in the very breath of God who is right here with us. So, take a couple of deep breaths. And as you go back to your normal breathing, we breathe in Jesus Christ, Son of God have mercy on me. Amen.
2: Thank you so much, Sue Ann. Um, Also, if you weren't here last week, we wanted to introduce you to this creature that we've brought here to be with us on stage and join us for this season. Um, This is a tree. Isn't she beautiful? (laughs) This tree is brought to us by a project called the Green Tree Project. And what happened was there was this therapeutic foster family um, who brought children into their home. And one fall, this young man was really struggling, just had a really hard September and October, adjusting to this new life with this family who was trying to love him. And they decided, in order to try to bring some joy back into his life, they would do Christmas up big. Um, Ashley, the owner said, uh, they brought a giant Christmas tree into their home, Dr. Seuss style, and it hit the ceiling and was toppled over. But they they, <laughs> ornament, they put ornaments on it and dressed it up anyway. Um, and then at the end of the season, after everything had been baked and celebrated, and they finally felt like this little guy was coming around, um, they put the tree out on the curb. And he sat, and he cried, and he watched the tree go out on the curb. And he said, but I thought we loved the tree. And she said, oh honey, we did love the tree. We decorated it and we celebrated it. And it was here, it was a part of our family with us. And he said, well then why would we throw it away? And she realized in that moment that she could never throw away a Christmas tree ever again. So she created this nonprofit here in Oklahoma City and they rent out Christmas trees like they've rented this one to us. And then at the end of the season, they donate those trees to a nonprofit organization in our city who will then plant it on their property. Turns out, we're a nonprofit organization. (laughs) Um, So they will be donating our wonderful girl to us to plant on our property somewhere. Great. Um, and this season, um, we have the chance to enjoy it. And, th- and the sermon series is about roots mm-hmm. and rootedness, being rooted in hope. Um, Aaron, my husband, and I had the incredible opportunity and what a gift to be in Colorado this past October, just as the aspens on the mountains were turning yellow. I don't know if you've ever seen an aspen tree turn yellow But they turned that whole week while we were there. It started and then got more and more yellow and by the end it was just breathtaking to look around. Um, Aspens, as it turns out, Grow um, and spread by the roots. Their roots actually—they um, actually spring up from the roots. So when you see a bunch of aspen trees, it's actually one giant organism connected through the ground through their roots. And the largest stand of aspen trees is actually considered one of the largest organisms in the world. It's called Pando, which means "I spread," and it's on—it's um, in Fish Lake National Park in Utah. Um, And I I wrote it down because I didn't want to forget. It's it's estimated to weigh 13 million pounds, and it's it's estimated to have been there growing since the end of the last ice age. So it's just a really incredible um, organism and a way to um, experience roots and rootedness as as an interconnection. That's beautiful.
3: Thank you. Britt Bowlerjack, everybody. Thank you very much, Britt. That was perfect. Yeah, that's exactly it. So our Advent Sermon Series, Rooted in Hope, last week I kind of made the case, I hope I did, that we need to be rooted and talked about the things that might come against us, the storms and then the waves and helped along by, um, was it Evan Almighty and the the story of, of Noah and the flood and how so many people who did not have roots were washed away, whereas the people who had made preparations were established and left And this week I wanna talk more about this root system, but I wanna talk about it as root system. You have heard it around here said, and I'll say it again today, you are a tree in a story about a forest. We are going to talk today and use terms that are familiar to us, especially if you have grown up in, in faith. Uh, we're gonna, you're going to hear terms like confession and repentance. But here's what I want you to hear today, perhaps, and that, this might be a little different from what you've heard. Hear these things as corporate terms, not as individualistic terms. Yes, we participate as individuals, but there's terminology of confession. There's something that we need to confess, This terminology of repentance, we need to repent, to turn, to be realigned with the purposes of God and with the mission of God. And that's what you're going to hear about today. And as a matter of fact, Advent itself is a team sport. Advent itself is a team sport. We are acknowledging and celebrating at some level Advent because it is through our corporate acknowledgement of Advent and our celebration in one form or another of Advent that we ourselves are practicing in ways that get us better in line, get us better prepared for the larger thing that God wants to do. Everybody recognizes, right, that Advent means arrival or coming. And we recognize that Jesus was born a long time ago and changed everything, by the way, and all God's people said. And we also recognize that there's some things that still need changing, and all God's people said. And so during Advent, we get prepared. We get prepared. We are preparing for the new thing that God wants to do and at the same time participating in the new thing that God wants to do. So there are so many ways in which, though this this pando forest is, is largely recognized as not only the largest living thing in all of the universe, it is also understood as the oldest living thing in the universe, but I would take exception. I think God might wish, God might prefer that the church, capital C, would be the largest living thing in the universe. And so let's talk about how it is that we, we can deepen our roots today. We deepen our roots as we acknowledge and celebrate the different seasons of the Christian calendar. But maybe we don't ask the question why often enough. Maybe, maybe, growing up in the church, and this I think I would have been one of these people who grew up in the church and got to where I could recognize certain words and phrases and terms, and I sometimes mistook familiarity for understanding, right? Like, you can grow up hearing the terminology of holiness and not necessarily know what you're talking about. At least I could. Or hearing this terminology of sanctification and know exactly how to spell it and not know how to explain it. And maybe, oh, got an amen there, all right. And, and maybe... And maybe Advent. And even the things that we do in Advent, we wait expectantly. We wait with great anticipation. We, we wait, but we're not still. We are actively waiting. But why? Why? We're going to take a shot at the why part of that question today. But I want you to hear somebody else talk about the importance of the question why.
1: How do I know? A lot of people, when they think of the phrase, how do I know, they always want to put the what behind it. How do I know what I'm supposed to do? The the question that you really should ask is, how do I know why I'm here? Because when you know your why, your what becomes more clear and more impactful. If you know, like for instance, um, people know that I do comedy, but that's what I do. My why is to inspire people to walk in purpose. So I can do comedy, I can write books. I can be in a movie because all of it is motivated by my why. In fact, I have a new, uh, a new web series out called Michael Jr. Break Time. Uh, we probably just did the sixth episode. It's on YouTube. So every single Wednesday at 3 o'clock, we drop a new episode on YouTube of Michael Jr. Break Time. What it is is it's me. I travel around the country, and I do stand-up comedy, in case you didn't know. And in the middle of my comedy set sometime, I'll stop and just talk to my audience. And we've been filming this, and it's, you know, it's, it's pretty cool. So we're in Winston-Salem. I'm going to show you a clip from Winston-Salem. And I'm just talking to this guy in the audience, and he tells me that he's a, uh, a musical instructor at a school. So I was like, all right, you're a musical instructor. You know, can you sing? Let me hear you sing a song. So this is what happened at the last episode of Michael Jr.'s Break Time. Check it. So you're a musical director. Cool. Yes, sir. All right. So um, let me get a couple. Let me get a couple bars of like uh, "Amazing Grace." Can you do the first part of that? Let me, go ahead. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. That bro could sing, you know what I'm saying? All right, all right. Uh, Now, once you give me the version is if uh, your uncle just got out of jail, you got shot in the back when you was a kid. I'm just saying, let me see the hood version real quick. If You know which version I'm talking about. Just see if that exists. Let me see what you got. Amen. Sweet. that I want you to catch. The first time I asked him to sing, he knew what he was doing. The second time, he knew why he was doing it. When you know your why, your what becomes more impactful because you're walking towards or in your purpose.
3: Mm. I like that a lot. Yes, I can make that a link and you can use it at all your workplaces. Yes, we can do, we can do that for you. Now, what's gonna happen today is we are going to hear familiar words from John the Baptist. They are familiar for a number of reasons. So we're familiar, kind of, with this character, John the Baptist, that we are familiar with these words. And John the Baptist is going to be using words with which we are largely familiar, again, especially if you have been raised in the church. But what I think we need to do is try to have a better understanding of the why behind John's words. John's words are not just for his audience in that day. They are also for us. And if we somehow can get in touch with the why behind John's words, then perhaps it will help us develop some why, especially during this season of Advent. Okay, let's climb inside the mind here, this ancient mindset. Everybody remember that John's father was... Uh, well, well,'ll we'll just he was a pastor in the local church. But it was John's assessment that things weren't going well, where the people of God were concerned. John understood that God has always wanted to have a body. John understood that God has always wanted to have this, this heartbeat of God and this message of God embodied. God has always wanted that. We've talked about that many times. God has always wanted to have a body still does. So John would insist that the message of God must be embodied by the people of God, and if they don't, there are dire consequences, and if they aren't, then somehow you have to start over in the hopes that God would again develop an embodied presence. And so John walks away from his dad's career, walks away, seemingly, from the city, (laughs) walks away from civilization where all of that had taken such bad, ugly root, but he had to go somewhere else. John was also keenly aware of the scriptures that said something like this. Someday there will be a new king. Someday there will be a new king, a Messiah, who would usher in a messianic age. And not a here, not a somewhere else, Sort of like right here, would usher in a messianic age. All of life would be changed. And we all get to participate right now and in the hereafter in the giant change that God wants to bring about about through this messianic figure. John knew this was the heartbeat, the ache, the heartache of the ancient Israelite people, that there would be a king, that there would someday be a ruler who would change everything. Now, many people wanted this new king to restore Israelite to the top of the heap to restore their fortunes, to restore them to a place of prominence and power. I'm not sure that John felt that. Maybe he did feel that a little bit. We'll talk about that next week. But John knew that it wasn't working well. John knew that there needed to be a new movement, and most importantly, he believed that this Messiah was already on the scene. He believed that time was of the essence, that he had to get out And do everything that he could, John the Baptist, everything that he could to start amassing this body that would then embody the purposes and the message of God. That's what John the Baptist is saying when he comes out in the wilderness and he says, by the way, he's not somewhere so far off the beaten path that there wasn't a lot of traffic. We think that he was somewhere between Jerusalem and Jericho where there would have been a lot of traffic. So a lot of people to hear him say, hey, Jewish folks, the age that we have always ached for, the person that we have always waited for, what we want so deeply and so desperately, that day is this day. Get yourself in line and in order so that you can participate. Repent, y'all. This is in Oklahoma. It would not just be repent. Each of you would be all y'all. Repent, people of God. Repent, for now is the time. The kingdom of heaven has come near. That word repent might have been translated reform. The people of God need to be better aligned with the purposes of God and with the message of God. Again, try to extricate yourself from this belief that this terminology of repentance, the terminology of confession that we will use later, extricate from your sense that this has to be an individualistic sort of thing. Yes, You have a personal relationship with God. Yes, you will do these things as individuals, but when we as the church gather as the confessing, repenting body, here's what we're saying. God, you need to, we need to be moved and you need to move us into a place where we better represent and embody who you are and what you want. John is saying, the messianic age is upon us. I have seen this Messiah person. All who are gonna get aboard better get aboard. Come right now. This is the one of whom the prophet Isaiah spoke. So you have a prophet talking about a prophet who's gonna talk about the Lord, the Messiah. (laughs) The voice of one crying in the wilderness, this is John, prepare the way of the Lord and make his paths straight. Now, if you look in your Bibles, the next verse says, now John wore clothing of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and his food was locusts and wild honey. All of that is mentioned to make the ancient reader and you and me, if we're paying attention, to make all of us remember that this John the Baptist character is a lot like Elijah. Elijah was described in the exact same ways. And the ancient Hebrews believed that Elijah would come back as a precursor to the Messiah and the Messianic age. And so what Matthew's saying right here is, yeah, that Elijah, that guy, it's this John. You better listen up. I'm telling you what this person's wearing. I'm telling you what this person is saying. You better listen up because, again, the time is now. It's time for you to decide whether you're in or out where this new kingdom was concerned. Now, this was sort of a mental challenge for me, and Dr. Tashton helped me with this this week. Does everybody know that John the Baptist Baptism was not a Christian undertaking at that time. Everybody get that? Baptism was not yet a Christian undertaking. So what in the world did John concoct this water ritual? Well, we oh, don't, we don't think that. Our, our best guess is, is this. That John was a part of a particular sect within Judaism called the Essenes. And the Essenes practiced fairly regularly a water ritual that would represent a cleansing, but again, not just for cleanliness sake, <laughs> right? Not just for cleanliness sake. Not that that's not a good reason to be cleansed. It's, it's good, it's better to be clean than not, okay? But not just for cleanliness sake. It's like cleansed, ritually purified, so that you can be set apart for the purposes of God. So that. You could be set apart for the purposes of God. Because in the storyline of the ancient Hebrew people, there was always a new life. Ready for this? There was always a new life on the other side of the water experience. Everybody with me? You remember the Exodus, right? Familiar with the Exodus? Pharaoh was doing his thing, holding people captive. Finally, God wrestles the people of God away from Pharaoh and they get all the way to the Red Sea, but they are still slaves about to be conquered again by Pharaoh's army until the water experience. They get through the water. They're on the other side of the water. The water collapses on Pharaoh's army and on the other side of the water, they are no longer slaves. There's a new life experience waiting for them there. And then there's the Jordan River. Remember this? Uh, The Jordan River. They come up to the banks of the Jordan River. Somehow the river itself is also parted in a similar sort of way. They walk across the Jordan River. And on the other side, they are finally in the promised land. They are home. No longer wanderers. They are now home, ready to set up shop to grow roots. See what I did right there, Ruth? And to then embody, embody, embody the purposes and the character of God. So when John is saying to the people, hey, time for you to have another water experience so that on the other side of the water, you can again be set apart and set aside for the specific thing that God wants to do. I gotta tell you, I think Advent's a pretty good time to be baptized, and we are perfectly happy to take the trees off of, (laughs) there's an electrocution issue right now where the trees are, but we're perfectly happy to take these trees off if you would like to be baptized because we still would say, we still would say, though now it is just loaded with Christian meaning, but it is still this thing. On the other side of the water experience, you are situated with the people of God who intend to embody God. That's why we hope that more and more and more of you will say, hey, I want to acknowledge that that water experience is important. Even if it happened when I was, for me, seven years old. I need to remember that it was important that on the other side of the water experience, I'm a part of a people, a people group, and God is going to do something specific with us. Because the danger is if we don't remind ourselves, if we don't remind ourselves that on the other side of the water experience we're identified with the people that God's doing something specific with, if we don't remind ourselves of that, we might forget. And there are few things more damaging to the planet than believers with amnesia. There are few things more damaging to creation than believers with amnesia. In other words, when we have not deepened our collective roots into the source of all of life, then those roots are gonna go somewhere else. Your roots are gonna go somewhere. It is not whether or not you're going to worship. It's going to be what or whom you choose to worship. You are built to worship. You are going to worship something. Now, it may not be the God of the Hebrews. It might be your next paycheck that orders your steps. It's one of the ways that we can tell what it is that you worship. Who or what is ordering your steps? Maybe it's an entertainment culture. Maybe it's a culture that has defined success in such specific ways, and has so captured your imagination that you, perhaps even without choosing to do so, have deepened your roots into that particular source But if you have deepened your roots into that particular source, not only have you exposed yourself to potential disaster, but you have not deepened your roots into the source of life. And it's possible to go to church, it's possible, it's always been possible, to populate the pews, let's say, or the sacred spaces of faith and to not have your roots deepened into the source of life. For example, this particular day, John saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming. The Pharisees who were all about purity, 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 and the Sadducees who were all about staying in good graces with the Romans. The Pharisees and the Sadducees have heard about all this commotion, right? (laughs) This is tough, actually. So John sees them walking up. Now, maybe, maybe they're walking up because they're going to take back a report of what they're seeing from this crazy person who purports to be Elijah. Or maybe they came out to be baptized. Either way, the reception was, let's say, icy from John the Baptist. <laughs> he greets them with, you bunch of snake babies you offspring of snakes you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the coming wrath are you going to get baptized and really save yourselves cuz i maybe john the baptist was saying I was like i kind of wanted to see you get yours <laughs> look at this though but bear fruit worthy of repentance In other words, okay, if you've come out here to be amongst the people who are going to get their acts together because we want to be a part of the new thing that God is doing, John says, then get your acts together and be part of the new thing that God is doing. Because, if you read the next couple of verses, because it seems like what you're saying is, oh no, God's mind about us is made up in the news is good and we don't really have to do anything else. I hope that's not what you're hearing me say week in and week out. This is not a cheap grace. It's not that somehow God will somehow, because God has chosen you, or if you've chosen God way back when, maybe when you were seven. It's not that somehow that promise or that statement is going to forever shield you from the bad things, the bad things, the the ramifications of your situation or your decisions or of judgment. What I'm saying to you each and every week is God desperately wants you seeks you, pursues you, and is not going to infringe upon your capacity to choose against God. These people seem to have said, oh no, we've read some of these promises. God has promised, God has promised that we'll be just fine, thank you. I don't know if we have to do all this changing that you keep talking about, this repenting, which means changing, I don't know if we have to do all of this stuff because God's already told us we're a part of the promise. God's mind about us is made up and we feel actually pretty safe. Verse nine. Do not presume Pharisees and Sadducees or Nazarenes. I think it's in there. Do not presume to say to yourself, we have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, okay, But God can make children out of rocks if God needs more children. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. And every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. As much as I love the decision that I made when I was seven... As much as I love that we encourage children to make similar decisions, whether it's here or at camp, children's church, hopefully, hopefully, all of our kids who are back there today are making good decisions for Christ. Hopefully, we understand those decisions as first steps and not last steps, because, what we need to say to them, what, what needed to be said to my seven-year-old self and what needs to be said to you no matter when you made the decision is that, hey, this is not the last decision, but it's the first one. You need to make a whole bunch of other decisions so that your life, and not just your mouth, the one that you used when you made the decision, so that your life aligns with the people of God who are aligning with the purpose of God. Your life, how you spend your time, How you spend your resources, how you spend your money, how you spend yourself has more to do with how you will be measured in the eyes of God than the decision you made when you were five. Here's good news. Here's good news. God's mind about us is made up and the news is good. The good news is, even if since your fifth five-year-old decision, if you have, not been, if you have only been a Christian in your head because of the decision that you made and not with the body that God gave you, <laughs> God still has in mind that you would take up a space and a spot in a really good way in what we are calling the people of God, the movement of God, the body of Christ, kingdom of priests. John says, I baptize you with water for repentance. That you would understand yourself on the other side of the water experience to be in a different place, to be set aside, to be ready for a new existence. I'm baptizing you with water for repentance, but one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I'm not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you. You had a water experience before. What you're getting with this one who's on the way is the spirit and fire. Now, fire is a good thing here. This is not damnation fire. This is a purifying fire. This is not the the fire, the flames of hell. This is a purifying fire. God says, yes, I will take you through this process And mold you and shape you so that more and more and more you, you all, y'all will be the people who will put, reliably so, skin and flesh on the hospitality of God. You're a tree in a story that's about a forest. We are, in some sense here, an outbreak of that forest. We recognize how important it is, hopefully at least. We recognize how important it is that we would be rooted in this one who is the source of all of life. Hopefully at the same time, we recognize how important it is that we understand our root systems to be connected. We are a people group. There are certain rules that govern our being together and how we are together that don't necessarily exist outside of our forest, out there. We are to be a peculiar people That that name has captured me since we read a book together in 1995. A guy by the name of Rodney Clapp wrote a book called Peculiar People, and I've not been able to shake that title since. What does peculiar mean? Well, it does mean odd, and it is that, but it also means distinctive. Oddly distinctive against the backdrop of the rest of the culture. Why? Or how? Or why? (laughs) Why? Because in the ways that we are together, in the ways that we relate, in the ways that we connect, we demonstrate something for the outside world that they don't yet know. Jesus said it like this to his disciples. They will know that you are my disciples by the way that you, remember, love each other. In other words, we're about to get into words that you are familiar with again. In other words, we are today already a first taste of what it is that God wants to do everywhere in the world. Or at least that's supposed to be the case. Governed a little bit differently. Governed all of our policies as the people of God, body of Christ. All of them should emanate from this place this deep sense that love wins in isaiah 11 the same isaiah that we talked about earlier was dreaming about a group like ours dreaming about a king like ours and he writes this a shoot shall come out from the stump of Jesse and a branch shall grow out of his roots Righteousness shall be the belt around his waist and faithfulness the belt around his loins. And then he lapses into a description of what this community. And by the way, he's going to now be talking about the potential of this community. Listen to how this is described. The wolf shall live with the lamb. And the leopard shall lie down with the kid, the calf and the lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put its hand on the adder's den. Remember, this is a description about about us, And how we can function even now. And in so doing, prepare. Prepare for the completion of all things. Ready? They will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Given where we are in the timeline, we can responsibly read. This verse like this, it says right here, the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. It should say like this, at this point, at least the church will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Well, now we're back to repentance. Now we're back to confession and repentance. We say this during Lent. You look at yourself. look at Jesus and you confess the difference. I think during Advent we can say this. We look at us. Look at us. (laughs) The body of Christ. We look at Jesus. We confess the difference. And we repent and start working today, today, toward God's tomorrow. In other words, if you're a wolf, find yourself a lamb. I know, everybody's a lamb. (laughs) All right, if you're a lamb, find yourself a wolf. Repent. Not just confessing that you find this difficult to do. The repenting part is saying, but with your help, God, I will do it anyway. With your help, God, that's the root structure part. With your help, God, we will be a people. We will be a people who give the world at least a shot, at least a shot to see what this might look like in Oklahoma City in 2019. What might it look like for the wolf to live with the lamb? Maybe this starts to order your steps for relationships in your household. The leopard shall lie down with the kid. Maybe this starts to speak to how you go to work. A calf and a lion and the fatling together, maybe this starts to shape your posture in every room you'll find yourself in throughout the season because given our source and given our roots, we are God's future having crashed into the present if we'll allow God to do that in us and through us. We are this. You know, someday, God, you know, to to, to finish the metaphor, and if you are helping us to serve communion, you can go ahead and start coming up. Someday, the whole earth will be this forest. (laughs) You're a tree in a story that's about a forest, and the story is a really good one about how God wants to care for the entire world, and the forest has already begun here, here. So Heavenly Father, nourish us to be the right kind of trees and the right kind of forest here. Bless these elements, God, and with them, strengthen us to be your people. Strengthen us to be people who have the capacity to be the wolves who will sit with the lamb. Strengthen us, God, with the capacity to be the lambs would find some time with the wolf. Strengthen us, God, to be people who can not only confess our shortcomings, but who can repent and see the value of aligning ourselves as a body with Christ's purposes and character. Remind us, God, yes, we participate. We are responsible to participate as individuals, but remind us, God, that we participate against a larger backdrop of what it is that you are doing through your people, the people of God, the body of Christ. And so today, with the bread and the cup, feed and nourish the body with the capital B. And so in a moment, I'm going to ask you to come forward, to exit your pews to the left, and then come forward with your hands cupped to receive these gifts that are meant to nourish the body, capital B. Nourish us so that we can participate and develop the capacity to be wolves with lambs or lambs with wolves. So you'll come forward with your hands cupped to receive this gift of bread and someone will snap off a piece and place it in your hands and say, this is the body of Christ broken for you. Take that piece of bread, dip it into the cup. When you do, that person will say, this is the blood of Christ shed for you. And then take and eat, and then find a place to pray a prayer of confession and repentance that God would move you into a closer, tighter alignment with the people of God, the body of Christ, and the purposes of God. Now, if you come to one of these side padded altars, we will assume that you are there for a prayer for healing and someone will meet you there to pray that prayer. If you come up here to one of these mourners benches, kneeling benches, we won't assume a thing, but somebody at some point will touch you on the back, the neck, the shoulder and remind you that you are not alone because you aren't. You can circle right back around and pray at your pew. God will hear you there as well. If you'd like to make this special trip up here, this water here, It's meant to remind you, to help you to remember, perhaps to jolt your memory of the moment of your inclusion, your initiation into the people of God. If you can't come to us, Jason and Katie will come to you. Who is eligible, you might ask. I'm visiting, I don't know if I'm allowed to come. Anyone in the room, anyone in the building who recognizes her or his need of grace. That's all you have to have or all you have to think and know and believe to be qualified to be a part of this forest, to participate at the family meal. If you know your need for grace, this is the right place for you. Doesn't matter what happened this morning. This is the right place for you. It was on the night years he was betrayed that our Savior took bread and he blessed it and he broke it. He gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you and every time you eat of it, remember me. Later on he took the cup and held it up before them and said, and this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant shed for you and every time you drink of it, remember me and be nourished, be nourished to be the body. Now all around the sanctuary, if you would, stand to your feet, exit your pew to the left, and come forward to receive these gifts of God meant to nourish the people of God.